Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, we would be remiss if we did not remark upon the sad passing of Kirstie Alley. No, I was, I'm so sad. I, I didn't see it coming. I had no idea she was even sick. Her family said she died after a you know small bout with cancer. A recent, recent discovery, discovery too, they said, me. yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah oh, so that, so of course, uh, prompts the question that has bedeviled scholars since Cheers went off the air, which what? is Kirstie Alley or Shelley Long, oh. Rebecca Howe or Diane Chambers, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Six four six three six D A turnkey dot pro text. I know, Amy, you were more of a seventies girl, so you more like Bob Newhart show. But for those of us who came up in the eighties, uh, Cheers was uh, instrumental in our intellectual, uh, social, emotional development. The way we talk about Wait, like, today. I could see you dating Diane Chambers. I think that would be the perfect woman for you. Honestly, uh, you? I mean, she's an intellect, more of a scholar. I'm, Carla would be, I think, more my speed. <laughs> I'm more of a cliff girl myself. Yeah. yeah. Well, sure. He's brainiac. Yeah. The stable like job. The, yeah, government stable, pension. It's all about the pension, Dan. That's yeah. Why I like that. And the uniforms, it's consistent. And, you know, I'm a blue collar girl. Blue collar right. babes. It was the name of our band in junior high. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm sad. I mean, I didn't even. Did you, you even Sheila know she Simon? was Simon? Oh no, that was the gravel bottom girls. No, yeah, okay. never mind. Uh, so no, well, answer my question though. For for you, I mean, I assume I mean, we can't assume things. I mean, you only recently saw The Godfather. Did you watch Cheers in the 1980s? Yes, I did watch Cheers. All right, and I so, thought Ted Danson was cute. Yes, of course he was. Yes, uh, but no, I so, think um, Rebecca definitely more my speed than Diane Chambers. Yeah. Or the yeah. person, the character. You know, I, you know, I, there you? Was, well, it, I, it's a tough call as sort of a Cheers originalist, if you will. Um, so I think, I, I, but I think it was a, a good pick. I mean, I think she was great. She grew into the role, and I, I thought she was uh, an in, integral part of that ensemble cast that made it. Yeah, uh, they actually uh, liked you know, the, each other. Didn't it feel like when you watched it, it was a family? Well, it made it the the best sitcom that's ever been made, I would argue. And, um, you know, for those of you too young to remember Cheers. Like Justin, probably. This Justin, is, have this, you ever watched Cheers? <laughs> this is uh, back when sitcoms were funny. So this is a, long, this is a while back now. Um, I don't think people understand that sitcoms, despite the name, they, they actually used to be comedies. They used to be funny. They're, they're not anymore because, well for all sorts of reasons, but well, they're just not anymore. Woke. I mean, can you name a better sitcom than Cheers? I mean, I, I have like a top five, but Cheers is the best sitcom that's ever been made in, my, so? in my estimation. Mm. 
and uh, am i showing my age there we there we go yeah (laughs) right exactly gidget you're more of a gidget yeah i got it i like i dream of genie yeah um brady bunch was awesome you can't really compete but yeah modern day i mean cheers was it it was better than friends people love friends i never got into friends Never understood that. That's a good example of a sitcom that's not funny. Right. Uh, So here is this last Instagram post from her. And I'm a little reluctant to play it because, you know, you want to remember her as Rebecca Howe, I would think. Although, you know, she was in other roles, too. I mean, nothing as seminal as as Cheers. But, um, you know, I remember her in uh, because she was striking, you know, when she was young. Uh, I remember her in uh, Wrath of Khan. Okay. Uh, in a uh, underappreciated little movie with uh, Tom Selleck called um, Runaway, where uh, it was a sort of like a into the future thing. Now, this is the 80s. And it was these uh, robots that do household tasks. Like, this is pre-Rumba. Um, but they had this idea of these uh, house these robots that do household tasks, but then the robots are programmed to kill people. And then... Uh, Tom Selleck and Kirstie Alley have to investigate what the hell's going on about that. So anyway, that's Runaway. If you want to do like a Kirstie Alley retrospective today, you can watch Wrath of Khan. You can watch Runaway. You can then watch 10 seasons or, well, I guess the last, what, five seasons of Cheers. Six seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 312-642-5600. Turnkey.pro answer line 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. I wonder what her, you know, what her... Because she struggled so much with her weight. Yeah, well, let's play this Instagram thing that I was mentioning. And so so this is her, like, last Instagram post, and it's uh, promoting her Cameo account, you know, where you get the personalized messages from celebrities. Like last year, we got Anthony Scaramucci to wish Amy a a happy birthday, (laughs) that sort of thing. But this is an actual celebrity, unlike the mooch. Hi, it's me, Kirsty, and um, a bunch of you have asked me to do these greetings and i always do what you ask me to do oh oh, i just had a new baby by the way i know i'm a little old for a new kid but congratulations to me i'd say (laughs) anyway if you want something funny or you want something sincere i would really try to be sincere but you know like sort of like hi i love you or um you know merry christmas or i want a divorce (laughs) <laughs> like the last one. Uh, 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 honey, Kirstie Alley has something she wants to tell you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, she's, she's, she was funny, and there's not, you know, there's not a lot of, I mean, there's some good female comedic actresses, not good female oh, comedians. Okay. I guess that's the Here distinction. But, um, but yeah, you know, what a great show. And now, I mean, when Kirstie Alley dies, you start to feel, you feel, yeah, you start to feel old. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Too bad. I felt long, old it, when uh, Frank Komet's son, Cole Komet, plays for the Bears. I'm like, nah, I'm officially old because I went to high school with Frank. Oh, yeah. And so that made me feel bold. But Christy Alley dying, I got to agree with you, Dan. Well, at least uh, Norm and Cliff are still around. Uh, Ted Danson's alive. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, I mean, the, the uh, Woody Harrelson. I mean, we go down the list. Yeah, the rest are. <laughs> but the original cast. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the... Um, Carla, obviously, all they're all they're all wrong. I mean, Coach from the original cast, but of course oh, he was older when he started. Another great character from the best sitcom ever made. 
although I've got disagreement. Robin in Bardstown, Kentucky. It's Mobile, Alabama now. But, you know, oh, okay. Dan, I agree, I agree with you on really everything culturally, and, and I'm a Catholic, conservative, and all that. But you're wrong. Seinfeld mm. is, and then Fraser. Oh. Yeah, so well, here's what's yeah. good, not the best. Okay, so I knew I was going to get somebody to, to use Seinfeld as the challenge card. But, Robin, I love <laughs> Frasier, too. I've seen Frasier and Cheers. I've seen every episode ten times. But yes. without Cheers, there is no Frasier. That is correct, yes. Yeah. And he's the character who I think has played him has played that character in, like, three different sitcoms, I think. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for the call. Including, you may recall, both he and Lilith. Oh, uh, yes. A guest appearance on Wings, oh, that's which true. was another very good sitcom, underrated, another product of the golden era of sitcoms. Seinfeld was good, but Cheers is better. Mm. It's just better. I mean, it's just it's a more. Let me get. Let me. I, I can't just say that without giving an explanation. Seinfeld is sort of narrower humor, uh, and it's more urban oriented. You know, New York City. Cheers, even though it's in Boston, even though it's East Coast, it is so much broader, so much more ecumenical than Seinfeld, if you will. Okay. That's my argument. I have others, but I won't bore you. Ron, Southside. Dan and Amy. Uh, yeah, look, Cheers was good, Dan, but the, the best to ever do it. Dick Van Dyke show, the, the best ensemble. So uh, best to ever do it, Dan. All well, right. Watch a few episodes. I still watch it. Uh, and it really kind of kicked off that whole sitcom thing. I know I'm aging myself a little bit, but hands down, Dick Van Dyke. All right. We've got to vote for Dick Van Dyke. All right. Thanks for the call, Ron. Uh, Jim in Crown Point. Um, cheers was the best. Um I like uh, Kirsten Daly better, um, and I also liked how they picked Woody Harrelson to replace Coach. It was seamless work. Yeah, yeah. I also loved um, how they made it about a misogynistic athlete. Jesus, I don't think they have that many of those around. <laughs> Not too many guys could identify with that. I know. It was a stretch, <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. it, took place, it, yeah. took, it took place in the same location. You didn't really know about their personal life, which right. is what a bar's all about, you know. Yeah, thanks yeah, for the call. Yeah, Except the when thing. they went to Carla's house for Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, that food great. fight scene is one of the all-time great episodes. That's a good one. Somebody uh, tweeted to Christy Alley what, you know, before her death. They said, uh, what was your favorite TV show that you were not in? And she tweeted back, great question. The Office. She wishes that she could have been yeah. in The Office. I mean, The Office was good, um, but it's but the American version is derivative of the English version, so then you have to make an assessment on the English version. Yeah, I, I'm sticking with cheers. Mary Kay, Western Springs. Hi, you guys. How you doing? Um, you know, uh, hey, how you doing, Amy? Um, yeah, we are old because, geez, this was 30, 30 years ago, right? When yeah. did cheers start? In, yeah, um, like 84. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so um, and, and as far as 83, was it? Jeez. Um, uh, when you compare Diane and, um, no, I can't even remember. Rebecca Howe. Yeah. Rebecca. Okay, when you compare those two, 
I could relate only, well, I could relate to them both, but Diane was so funny and she was so much more like me, you know, naive, thinks you're real smart, you know, um, I, I thought she was the funniest character and, um, we, I had to get home. I could not, my, my boyfriend, I was dating my husband, my husband became my husband and, um, we had to be home sitting on the couch watching that show it was 8 30 i believe thursday nights and um if we were not sitting there to get that first joke you know when um norm walked in you know yeah. norm and he came in and sat down it's by far right. the best the time of the 90s i think so it's a dog eat dog world out there and i'm wearing milk bone underwear mary Kay. <laughs> yeah thanks for the call <laughs> appreciate it and that was before with it maybe what was that was that now when did vcrs come into uh popular usage when cheers started were there vcrs i guess there yeah, were there were yeah okay i'm dating i'm losing VCRs. my i'm losing my sense of what happened when jim in woodstock yeah birds of allen that was the funniest uh, female character ever Burn, burns and allen boy now okay all right thanks for the call jim Got got a range of opinions based on oh, different yeah. uh, generations. I see. Well, that's well, Bob from Buffalo Grove. Uh, all in the family. Mary Tyler Moore. Bob Newhart. Those uh, all best. all good shows, yes. but they didn't rise to the level of the gold standard, which is Cheers. We're gonna miss Kirstie Alley. Rest in peace, Kirstie Alley. Rebecca Howe, as we'll always remember her. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Like many restaurateurs, the Stricklands shut down in the early months of 2020 as the COVID-19 pandemic spread. They have a sandwich joint in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Strickland said he attempted to do carryout only, but the restaurant was unable to generate enough income to maintain operations. So in June of that year, 2020, he opened up his storefront again under Virginia Governor Ralph Northam at the time, his reopening guidelines. We followed all the governor's mandates when the COVID stuff first happened because I didn't know what COVID was about, just like anybody else, said Strickland. After reopening several months into the pandemic, however, he said the new restaurant regulations were about something else other than our health and safety because they just made no sense. Nobody could sit at a bar, but you could put a table up next to the bar and sit. 
You had to wear a mask just to walk in, but when you sit down, you can take it off. The regulations made no common sense. The state was starting to strip away the constitutional rights and freedoms of myself and my customers, and I wasn't going to be a part of that. A uh, familiar but not familiar enough story. We, right. of course, had our rebel diners here started by Tom Sedeka during uh, 2020 where we were patronizing groups of us, many of you listeners, as well as me and Amy and lots of other people, patronizing restaurants that decided to stay open despite Pritzker's lockdown orders because they had to make a living. And because, as Matt Strickland said, they, these regulations made no sense. Zero sense. Remember, what did they? where were you? Tin Lizzie's? You, you were sitting down and you went to the bathroom and they yelled at you because you didn't put your mask on from the table to the bathroom? Something stupid um, like that? Yeah, someplace in River North. I, I can't remember it. Yeah, yeah, someplace in River North. What was it? Oh, that's, that was that uh, oh, what was that country-themed uh, bar restaurant in River North. Oh, I, can't uh, I can't think of the name of it now, but... Uh, since Bub I'll never City? go there, Bub City. That's exactly it. Yeah, since I'll never go there again, it really doesn't yeah. matter. And then remember, we also too had the uh, vaccine mandates. The, the card you had to show your card if you wanted to get fed in a restaurant. But that's yeah. I digress. Go on with your story. Well, um, so why are we talking about something that everybody's familiar with that happened to restaurateurs two years ago? Because it's not over for Matt Strickland. It's not. No. Um, he. Uh, after defying those COVID mandates during the height of the pandemic, two years ago plus, he drew the attention of the governing authorities like the Virginia Alcohol Beverage Control Authority. He had his license to sell wine, beer, mixed beverages on and off premises suspended in September of 2021. But, uh, the agency put a stay on enforcing the order to give Strickland time to appeal. In November of 2022, so just last month, a final ruling was issued, and the authority ordered Gormelts, Matt Strickland's business, to halt selling alcohol for 90 days. The agency said it would reduce the suspension to 15 days if Strickland paid a $4,000 penalty and more than $6,400 in investigation costs. So ten grand. And lose your uh, ability to sell uh, alcohol for 15 days or 90 days. So either way, he was going to take it in the shorts. Uh, he said, go pound sand. Good. And then the police showed up <gasps> with a court order to shut him down. Oh. And this is how that went with him filming the police while he's talking to them. But listen to what he had to say to them. And you really should go watch the video, which we'll tweet out to uh, see the expression on at least a couple of the police officers' faces. We've actually been found to be detrimental to the community, but you're still going to shut a man's business down over there. You're not here to discuss whether or not they're unconstitutional. You're just here to do your job, right? Uh-huh. And you're going to enforce that regardless, right? Yeah. So you're part of the problem, man. I want you to know that. You're part of the problem. 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 Everybody in here, every one of you, man. What's going on in this country right now? The reason that we're in the situation we're in as the United States of America, you're part of the problem, sir. So you can't complain about what the president's doing. You can't complain about the state that the country's in right now. 
You can't you can't complain about how screwed up it is. You're part of the problem, sir. You're just doing your job. So many people were just doing their job for Hitler back in Germany. You as well, sir. That goes for, that goes for you as well. That goes for you as well. That goes for all of you. That goes for all of you, man. There's no excuse. There's zero excuse. Just doing my job. That's not an excuse anymore, man. That's not an excuse. You guys just doing your job is facilitating what's going on in this country right now. You're shutting down a man's livelihood for not following COVID mandates that didn't do anything, anything to prevent COVID. And it was actually detrimental to the community and not just the community, to our kids, man. It set our kids back so many years, these mandates. It set small businesses back so many years. It destroyed small businesses, man. It destroyed them. It destroyed families. It destroyed our community. And it destroyed our country. And nobody in here gives a damn about that. They're just doing their job. Just doing their job. And they're going to continue to do their job. All to preserve themselves. Nothing is more important than themselves, man. Their country is not as important as themselves. I guess your family's not either, sir. Because if you got children, you're setting them up for failure. By not standing up right now, today. Yeah. You're setting your kids up for failure. You're setting your family up for failure. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro, text line. And it wasn't just one officer. There's five guys there yeah. that are just kind of stunned. I'm watching the video, and again, you said you'll tweet it out, but they're, you know, he's he makes a point. First of all, if you're going to stand up for anything in your life, it should be your children and then your place of work, and that's what he's doing. I love what he said. Did they eventually end up shutting him down? He should he shut down. Oh, yeah. I mean, they weren't there. I mean, you know, right. The the cops are in a difficult position. I understand, um, but you know, at some point, somebody's got to make a stand. You would think maybe uh, the police chief of the relevant department might say to the might not even just get into an interagency fight with the beverage control authority, but you know, um, we're talking about punishments that were handed down during a previous administration. Maybe it's time for an enterprising police chief or a local elected official, like somebody who represents Matt Strickland, to make an appeal to Jason Mieris, the new attorney general, to make an appeal to Glenn Youngkin, the new governor, and say, right. really? Yeah, two, two years after the fact, three years almost after the fact, and you want to come shake this guy down for ten grand or take his ability to uh, pay his bills away for 90 days? based on policies that were, as he rightly says, completely at odds with common sense. And that actually hurt the community rather than help the community. Be nice to see, and I'm glad that he filmed this video with him talking to the police officers because this is one way to get attention. And I hope it makes its way, the story, up to the halls of power in the state of Virginia, whether it's the House of Delegates or these newly elected state officials that have some authority over the Beverage Control Authority to say, you know what? Uh, we're going to waive the penalties that were imposed on Mr. Strickland and let uh, that gentleman operate his business. I'd like to see some responsiveness from the political class here since they're the cause of all of these, so many of these problems that Matt Strickland nicely recounted for us, aren't they? And it also would signal, you know what, we got it wrong. And we punish go. people and are continuing to punish people that don't deserve to be punished. 
And just because it was an edict, especially in hindsight, doesn't mean that we're not uh, allowed to reassess the edict and the impact and the judiciousness and the justice of it all. And I love the shakedown part of it. Like, hey, if you just pay $4,000, we will you know, suspend you for for four, four, for 15 days instead of 90 days. Oh, yeah, 10,000, 10, right. 4,000 4, fine, $6,400 in investigative costs for the state, right. Sean and Darian, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, hey, guys, we know that state is hopeless. We know that since Chicago is pathetic and hopeless, but boy, wouldn't he be a great candidate for mayor? Yeah, thanks, thanks. for the call, Sean. Uh, I don't think he wants to move from Virginia to... No. If he's going to move from Virginia, I don't think his destination is Chicago. No. Uh, Dave and Cicero. He's smarter than that. Yes, sir. I just want to say four words. What a freaking hero that guy is. Well, it's more four words. But um, and is that on video type tape? I mean, a video YouTube or something. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tweet it out. I'll yeah, I'll tweet it out so you can get at Dan Proft. I'll post it. Have a yeah. great day. Thanks for the call, Dan. You know, and the 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 thing I like about that is it's uh you know, maybe the unfortunate Hitler reference notwithstanding. Uh, it's all very reasonable. He's just he's just recording the conversation, but it's thoughtful and reasonable and even respectful. He just disagrees with what's happening, and he's challenging uh, his um, fellow Virginians to think about this, his fellow Virginians, in this case in uniform, to think about this. Yeah, saying, Good how do you him. feel about coming to shut a man's business down for not following yeah. COVID mandates that are not constitutional? And from good. two years ago. Yeah. No, I, I good for him. Roger Southside. Morning to both. Um, I have a couple of small businesses in the city and going through the entire lockdown. Well, well let's say they're, they're establishments or they're taverns. Okay, I stayed open. The entire, never closed a day. All right, like, um, let's get it. We need the names of those taverns so we can oh report boy. you to yeah. the authorities. No, all right, go That's ahead, fine. Me, Roger. I, I'd be happy to give them to you. <laughs> anyway. I had three visitors. I had the fire department who came in. Uh, they came in with three inspectors, and two of which stood out of the way without masks, on, and one with a mask. Uh, he was kind at first until, you know, I was so aggravated about it, though I had to remind them of just exactly where their pension fund yeah. is funded <laughs> to and how, and how I will not guess what, pal that you know what you're not going to be getting a penny of it because i'm going to be leaving soon the building people who came in did have masks they were new hires new hires they were uh they were told they like any other rowdy patron they can either walk out or be carried out Mm -hmm. so they left and Mm -hmm. okay And and the third one was an actual police who came there please came there i reminded them that they're at about 20 percent funded too and they should maybe find something to do besides besides beat up on small business owners yeah i I, i'm seeing this coming back though which is what somebody wanted to bring up and i love that video you played of that guy yeah the guy's got he's got guts what you know but i'm seeing more of these mandates come back uh, Rush Hospital uh, recently started enforcing a thing on their contractors, service people, anybody that enters any of their facilities without a vax card will not be let in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They put it in a year ago, but they're enforcing heavy now. You know, I'm seeing more of it. I don't know if you two are, you know, well, where, where you're at. 
Thanks for the call, Roger. Well, I mean, we mentioned this yesterday on the show. L.A. County is reconsidering reimposing a mask mandate. Oh, it'll happen here. And we still don't know if Pritzker is going to mandate vaccines for uh, school-aged children in order to attend school. He's still debating that, looking at the science and the data, Dan. Well, that that's right. And, and oh, by the way, um, Pfizer and Moderna are seeking oh, yeah. FDA authorization for oh. vaccines for children under five. <sighs> So it, the group the, the, doesn't need it. It can t- it, uh, need need. need. Oh, yeah. Pfizer and Moderna need it for their balance sheets. Um, and the, the government, I'm sure, will comply. The, this continues uh, at a rally uh, just over the weekend for Warnock. In oh. uh, I think it was in East Athens, Georgia. Yep, I saw that. Uh, he walks into a room where everybody was required to wear masks for his campaign event. To get into the campaign event, he walks in without a mask. Is what a great picture that is. You shall, and it's my option. That's the Sick. attitude of the Covidian class. It's like Stacey Abrams. Remember when she went to that school and everybody was wearing masks? All those little cute children that we couldn't see their faces, and she's sitting right next to them. No mask. That's what they think of you. Yeah. So and, is and- it? Co- is it coming back? Oh, yeah, that, that, that's what I'm saying. I mean, we, you have to talk about this. First of all, you still have the legacy problems like this Matt Strickland, this, this sandwich shop owner in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And then you have the uh, moneyed interests like Big Pharma. And then you have the Covidian class that needs to continue to justify everything that they did over the last three years. I wish they could just admit that they were wrong. You know, that whole, like, amnesty, you know, no, just admit that you were wrong, and then I'll move on. Most Vince, of us will. Vince in Crete. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Regarding the guy with the sandwich shop, I have a little uh, mom-and-pop restaurant in Crete, and I can tell you firsthand, the Illinois Liquor Commissioner is the most powerful person in the mm-hmm. state. He can come in anytime. him and his crew can come in anytime for no reason at all, no search warrant, and go in any portion of the business, my office, my office safe, everywhere. They do not need a reason. And they even even small little infractions like putting a plastic cup over an empty beer tap handle, five hundred dollar fine. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right. So stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Not surprising. It's a fun fun state to do business in, isn't it, Vince? Thanks for the call. Where my Appreciate kids work, their bar got a thousand dollar fine because they had the Cubs game on. Mm-hmm. Because they're told no entertainment. You can't if you have a band. You can't have the band there. Um, so what they did is they went on a rooftop of somebody's garage, which was near the restaurant, and that's how they got away with it. But they actually got a ticket. But all those fines when they went to court, they were all thrown out because the judges uh, it was, knew it was ridiculous. Do you want to? This 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 story um, I saw yesterday is one of the stories that really gives you insight into the mind of the Covidian. Okay. And why this is not going to stop and why more people are going to have to show a little bit of the guts that you heard from Matt Strickland at, there in Virginia. Germany. Oh, this is. German euthanasia clinics oh. require the COVID vaccine before they'll kill you. <laughs> not a joke. It's not a joke. Mm-hmm. As European countries battle to limit the spread of the virus, the German Euthanasia Association has issued a new directive declaring it will now only help those who've been vaccinated or recovered from the disease. 
I, I can't cobble together a more telling commentary than that statement from, of all places, the German Euthanasia Association. And by the way, if you're German, do you really want a euthanasia association? Isn't that still a little too soon? It is for me. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Well, you know, before we just have to. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Remembering Taking Kirstie a break Alley's from all your and the greatest sitcom sure that ever was made. Yeah. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sing it in your car on the stream. Cut it out. Breathe. Felt it out. Also the greatest sitcom theme music ever. Oh, this, that's true. Now tell me after hearing that you don't want to go binge watch Cheers. I know. <laughs> Christy Alley died at the age of 71. Her family said she uh, had a short battle with cancer. We're talking about it uh, in the previous hour. We've got to vote for the Dick Van Dyke Show. Uh, we got to vote online for Barney Miller. Great Sorry. sitcom. Yeah. Another great sitcom. I don't think it rises to the Cheers level, but very good. Um, obviously Seinfeld, that's probably the main challenger that's been offered. So, I don't know, we'll just think about it, and you can weave in your Cheers memories throughout the morning as we tackle other topics, like uh, this one. Uh, do you feel going safe going to your local tavern here in Chicago, or even Chicago land? Let's not limit it to the city, because it's not just the city that has a violent crime problem, it's just most pronounced in the city. Do you feel safe in Chicago, writ large? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, text line. I, I do a stop, look, and listen with that very straightforward question. 
was prompted by the CEO of the MTA in New York, Metropolitan Transit Authority there, Jano Lieber, who yesterday at a breakfast said that he wants to see the city expand the law that bans violent criminals from riding the subway in New York, and buses for that matter. Uh, Right now, he said, the subway banning law is uh, limited to narrow circumstances. We've got to expand it. Just one person has been banned so far, a convicted transit perv who a judge last month barred from the Long Island Railroad for two years for sexually assaulting an MTA conductor. So, yeah, it seems like a lie. That would, yeah, that's... It seems like, like that's uh, generous, actually. It seems like a lifetime ban could be in order there. But um, the, the, the New York law restricts transit bans to sex criminals and people who attack MTA workers, and that's it. So the MTA CEO in New York wants to expand the law to include violent criminals generally. And so that led uh, the New York Post to uh, do a little man on the street about uh, people's perspectives on their own safety in New York City, including but not limited to using the transit system. Do you feel like there's been an increase in crime in New York City? Yes, I think it's been pretty bad lately. And it's happening because the police is afraid of getting involved nowadays. People do whatever they want. I feel safe in my neighborhood, but much less so around here, especially Midtown, where I have to come to work. I'm noticing more harassment on the street, uh, a general attitude of, like, I can do whatever I want. Things seem a bit more dangerous around here. Do you feel safe in New York? I do. I do feel safe. You have to be aware and of your surroundings, any place that you work or commute um, at all times. I've always felt reasonably safe in New York, but it definitely gives me more pause now than it used to. I hold my bag a little closer, make sure I hold my kids' hands. I'm always alert now, but, I mean, it doesn't stop me from coming in when I need to. I don't necessarily feel safe. Uh, Once it gets dark, I really don't go on the subway at all. take a cab. Just it gets real seedy at nighttime. I'm very nervous. Um, I travel every day on the subway to go to work. Um, I don't feel safe. I always feel like there's an incident every day, and it just doesn't make me feel comfortable. Uh, what are your feelings, uh, you know, parallel feelings about Chicago? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line. Uh, Lieber, the MTA president, CEO in New York, saying, I don't see any reason why any violent crime in the system, if, you know, some of them go to jail, they should at least not be able to use the system and get in the face of their victims. Um, there's no reason why if someone is victimized in the system, they should have to walk in two months later and see the person who attacked them or handed or harmed them in the system. I want to see more banning. Uh, in uh, New York, uh, felony crime uh, underground, felony crime on the subway is up 40% year over year. Felony crime. So, you know, violent crime. Yeah. Uh, and here, in, in, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Well, here in Chicago, I mean, you know, you know that I'm a local news nerd, watching it because I always like to see what Chicagoans give up, you know, what they, you know, what they don't take with them when they go outside. And I stumbled upon this uh, like yesterday, kids? courtesy of ABC Seven. I'll only wear this during the day. At night, I won't wear or Canadian goose jackets or anything like that at night. So, or jewelry or anything flashy, I will not wear. Some community groups are now taking matters into their own hands. It's uh, another reminder uh, that uh, even when things seem to be getting better, we need to stay vigilant. We need to stay. We need to be proactive. 
That was after a you know a string of carjackings and catalytic converters being stolen in their neighborhood. Yeah, but well, people give up. Here's the thing. I mean, um, I appreciate like what the transit uh, CEO in New York is saying, but of course, <laughs> it's just a to give you a false sense of security because um, you want to see more people banned. Okay, and and who enforces that ban? Right. Who is going to ensure that uh, those people that are using the subway sys- system as their stomping grounds are not using the system? Well, that requires police, and that requires prosecutors removing violent, repeat violent offenders from the streets. So you don't have that happening in Manhattan. And you heard from some of the New York denizens talking about uh, police are on their heels. Well, we know this all too well in Chicago, and now you've got. 2,000 fewer police than a lot of law enforcement experts say you need. You've got 250 fewer prosecutors than you need. And the attitudes at the top of those institutions is permissive to be generous. So you can write all the laws you want. The enforcement mechanism is where we're falling down, not on what's right and wrong or what's legal and illegal, seems to me. 312-642-5600. 312-642-5600. That's our turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us via text at 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Miro on the northwest side. Hey, time the red line was high. After the last time the red line was in the news, I honestly changed the name from Red Line to Murder Incorporated. Thank you. Okay, I guess that's one commentary on the red line experience. Well, we should we've... ban people here on the CTA who've committed felonies. Like, you know the one that you uh, featured in your super PAC? The guy with the wine bottle who smashed that, you know, guy yeah. who, the, who was just taking their train home from work, smashed him over the head with a wine bottle? Why can't we implement that here? That person should never be allowed to take public transportation ever again. Has that person been identified and arrested? Um, yes, he was. He lives what in Blue Island. Him? I don't right. You know what? I don't know. Mm-hmm. They said that, you know, he was known to police in his community. Right. So I'm sure he's out and about. Maybe he has a ankle monitor on. Who knows? And we were going to see a stepped up uh, police presence on the platforms. Oh, yeah, right. I haven't seen that. Right. I took the CTA last week and I just thought, oh, dear Lord, who wants my venture card? <laughs> it was, it's scary. Somebody was shaving. Are you looking in the mirror or in the window using the reflection and shaving another guy at his feet? Shaving shoes off. what? Shaving his face. It was oh. gross. Another All person right. with their feet, shoes off, and it's just, it's disgusting. Why were you taking, what, what I had to go out to O'Hara, so I took the blue line. And what? Where was your driver? <laughs> My hobo ride's broken down, okay? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, the, you know, the. I mean... First of all, for someone of your stature in the community, oh, yeah. I wouldn't even say Uber. I mean, at least uh, Uber black car. Oh, right. At least, mm-hmm. if not a private driver on standby. If you want, I can Help lend you out. mine so you don't have to suffer the indignity of the the L, for God's Ooh, sakes. <laughs> it smelled Jeez. so bad. And I thought, look at these tourists. This is their first impression of Chicago. Why would you, you know, come I, visit? I got an idea. You should um, get together some of those P-hat uh, ladies in, and the— Male impersonators too. That yeah. can be a family affair. In uh, Lakeview, wanted to because you know the, well, how we do, how we do uh, this in terms of responding to endemic quality of life or loss of life issues is we just 
address the symptoms. So what about like an air freshener campaign on the on the L? So just everybody running around putting those, um, you know, putting the little air fresheners like new car smell on and all the L L trains. What Uh, do you think? It needs a complete hose down. Oh, so gross. Yeah. Shut down. Ian in uh, Glenview, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah. Hi, Amy. Hi, Dan. Good morning. And it's a pleasure. Um, I've been a photographer in the city for 50, uh, half, 50 years, half century. And uh, when I take couples downtown for photo shoots, uh, that's something that's done all the time or used to be done all the time. Uh, we can't do that anymore. Um, I go down with my business partner now and I have body armor. I have my legal firearm and I have a bait camera on because photographers have been targeted, uh, you know, for uh, grabbing all their equipment. Yeah. The bait camera I carry is a 60-year-old Nikon camera, film camera. Uh, so if they're going to grab something, hopefully they'll grab that. But the fact that I have to uh, put my life, my business partner's life, and my couple's life in danger just to get a photo shoot downtown, uh, it's just appalling. And, and that's not embellishment or exaggeration. It's just um, uh, the city is is a war zone. I don't care what anybody says. It's a damn war zone. Have and, you had any? Uh, have you had any- any, any incidents or seen any incidents when you've been down doing shoots? Uh, I haven't witnessed any incidents myself, but um, I've, uh, I've come out of the uh, hotels like the uh, Hilton Towers or the Hyatt Regency uh, at uh, hours that um, uh, some very sketchy people will be around. Mm-hmm. And occasionally I've had to intervene where uh, people have approached uh, guests coming out of the hotel and they don't know who I am, um, and I'll be dressed nicely, but nonetheless, I'll just uh, just step in between and say, leave these people alone, their guests are leaving, you go do your business someplace else. Um, so you know, as soon as they're um, confronted, uh, generally, I'm not talking about hardcore gangbangers, I'm talking yeah. about uh, just um, the, the opportunistic street people, uh, they usually uh, turn and walk away. But, uh, yeah, it's it's getting getting so sketchy to be downtown after hours or even during daylight hours at this point uh, that I dread when a couple wants to go downtown. I try to talk them into doing a location, um, you know, that that we have a lot of locations that aren't downtown that are very pretty. But, of course, if you want the city lights, there's only one place to get that. So, yeah. Yeah, Right. Thanks for the call. Stay safe. Yeah, no, you know, we can take the wedding party downtown. You get the pictures on the DuSalvo Bridge, but you're all going to have to wear bulletproof vests. So just so you know, that's the new protocol downtown. Incredible. Uh, Craig in Indiana. Hey, bring back Bernard Getz, the subway vigilante. Remember when he shot those four thugs? You don't yeah. look so bad have another, and he shot him again. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Thanks Different for the call, times. Craig. Well, the, the the problem is that when you don't have police enforcing the law and people are unsafe and rightly understand themselves to be unsafe, you're going to have incidents like that. That's going to happen. And nobody wants it to happen. No, Everyone who believes in the rule of law would much prefer to leave this to law enforcement, both police and prosecutors. But when the leadership of the police department and the city and the leadership in the state's attorney's office abdicate what are you supposed to do if you can't otherwise leave you have a right to protect yourself you have a right to defend yourself now you need to make uh, good judgment calls on that and use proportional force but that's the problem that that's exactly what happens you don't want vigilante justice and the politicians are incentivizing it it's not white supremacy it's not trump it's not the republican party it's them socialist politicians in Chicago who've abdicated their law enforcement responsibilities. 
if and when there are unfortunate vigilante incidents, you can look to Lightfoot and Preckwinkle and Fox and Evans, the four horsemen, Ron and Belvedere. Hey, how you doing? Good. Good. Hey, Dan, yeah, you, first of all, I just wanted to chime in about a sitcom. How about uh, the award-winning MASH? <laughs> when, you ha- when you have to say award-winning, that says it all about <laughs> no. that sitcom. No, uh-uh. You didn't uh-uh. like MASH? Did you, you watch MASH? I, I watch MASH. Oh. Uh, I don't like Alan Alda. I've never really liked Alan Alda. I didn't like Hot Lips. I didn't like the character. Um, <laughs> I liked Radar. I liked that. It just the whole thing didn't work for me, uh, to be honest. Oh, wow. Just didn't work for me. Well, that's personal opinion yeah. too, right? You yeah. Know? Well, of course. Yeah. Of course. But I'm. Yeah. I've got a. But I've got a keen eye, Ron. Yes. This is. I'm, a, I'm like an. I'm an this art critic a... at large, <laughs> in my, in mo- mostly in my own mind. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Right. Ron. I hear you. And then also, uh, yeah. As far as Chicago, I mean, us and another, our family and another family we used to go down to the uh, uh, Chicago Chris Crindle Fest, and then we used to walk around to you know, all the stores and stuff like that, and then all the way down to the Hershey's down there on the Mag Mile. And uh, we used to take the L and all that. Now, I don't think I'd do that anymore, no, <laughs> especially no. take the L train, you know. Don't don't take the L. Yeah, oh, No, I, I know. I, I hate to increase everybody's uh, subsidy to uh, <laughs> public transit by discouraging people yeah. from taking public transport, but no. Uh-uh. Thanks for the call, Ron. Appreciate it. Uh, don't take the L. And, and the, the larger question is, do you even want to come downtown? Sorry to say that. No, I'm I say mean, it, you know, but people wanted to go see the lights and do it. You know, no, no, it's too dangerous. I mean, what you know? It's, okay, what what people want? Matt in Oakland. Uh, it's not Matt from Oakland. It's presidential candidate Yelnick McWawa calling in. <laughs> okay. All right. Come on, we're talking about cheer stuff here. Don't you know what that is? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> very oh. good. Wow, that's a deep yeah. dig. Fair. Okay, very good. I was expecting somebody right. to call so, in with the Kelly song or something, but that's okay, very good. <laughs> uh, we talked about this the other day. So, uh, you know, this, ironically, the city of Chicago, this is going back 30, 40 years. My grandpa was a, was robbed and shot in Chicago. And here's a guy that was a, he was a captain in the IRA. He fought the Easter Uprising only to get shot you know, walk into his two flat over $20. But if reparations come to California and in, in turn come to the state of Illinois, can the grandchildren separate that man's pie up a little bit? Maybe get a little boat called the, uh, the Kelly. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Matt. Uh, uh, and in regards to our last yeah. caller, that Hershey's chocolate store has closed. The one that was on Michigan Avenue, by the way. Oh, I was, as, as okay. many other businesses have. Yeah, or they're uh, under heavy armed surveillance. Uh, Eduardo Midway. Yeah, I kind of waited till the end because I wanted to see what the other people were going to say. But uh, we had a carjacking here on Six Hit in Cicero. And there haven't been that many here in this area. But um, as far as me going into downtown, I never drive. I'll drive in the suburbs, but I'll take the uh, Orange Line. And uh, I'm very careful as my surroundings where i go and all that so i've been pretty lucky well thanks for the call eduardo bill lasalle county hey good morning uh two questions number one have you commented on the shooting on arthington yesterday as to whether or not you think that was a valid use of force was that and the, was that the, the uber car the uber carjacking thing 
the one at 5 a.m. and there were three individuals shot, uh, and yeah. mm-hmm. one was critically. Yeah. And then the other thing was the safest bar to go into is you got to find yourself a cop bar similar to the one Chuck Norris went into in Code of Silence, which was filmed in Chicago. Yeah. And he remember him running on the uh, top of the L trains, too. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Bill. Um, there is a cop bar in Chicago. Amy, you know it. Um, which one? Like, there's a cop bar that's safe in Chicago. What is it? Which I one? wouldn't want to upset the patrons at Richards. Ah. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there is an exit. There's one. There's, there's one safe area. Although, I'm, safe unfortunately, space. unfortunately, they don't have enough seats for 2.7 million people. So that's the that's the rub. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. The more you listen, the more, you listen. The more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer. On AM 560, The Answer. All right, an instant request per Madden Oak Lawn with the uh, the great uh, Yelnick McWawa reference from Cheers as we're honoring the memory of and the work pro- the work of uh, Kirstie Alley all morning. You see, if you go back in history and uh, take every president, you'll find that the numerical value of each letter in their last name was equally divisible into the uh, year in which they were elected. <laughs> Uh, so who's going to win? Clip uh, Reagan again? What, no, 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 not a chance. See, I figured it out. Uh, and by my calculations, uh, our next president has to be named Yelnik McWawa. That's the stupidest name I've ever heard. Clip. Sam, please, you're talking about our next president. <laughs> that 30-second, but, I mean, tell me that is not the emblematic of the greatest sitcom ever made. Uh, Brilliant. Brilliant. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. Dan and Amy, as the uh, Chinese communists uh Relax some of the COVID restrictions that have generated protests against the regime in uh, iPhone City and elsewhere throughout the country. We're still trying to get an answer out of the Biden administration about their support for those white paper protesters. The animatronic Anthony Blinken was on with Jake Tapper over the weekend, and he uh, gave the stock answer you've been hearing all week from the regime here in D.C. Of course we do. Uh, we support the right of people everywhere, whether it's in China, whether it's Iran, whether it's anyplace else, to protest peacefully, to make known their views, to vent their frustrations. Uh, and as that's repressed in one way or another in any given country, we speak out against it, we stand up against it, uh, and we take action against it. In, in the case of Iran, uh, we've worked uh, very hard to impose sanctions on those responsible for the crackdown on mostly Iranian women who've been leading uh, these in an incredibly courageous way, these protests since the death of Masa Amini, as well as trying to make sure that Iranians have uh, in their hands the communications technology to allow them to continue talking to each other and connect it to the outside world. We've spoken out uh, against the uh, repression of uh, protesters anywhere, including uh, in China. But fundamentally, Jay... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's some answer. I asked an you about answer. the white paper protesters in China, and, and you're telling me about the protesters in Iran and what you're doing. Oh, and yeah, in China too, of course. Yeah. Um. By the way, just like they support the um, support protesters in the rest of the world, um, 
Just on on the domestic front, just as sort of an aside, uh, did you support the Tea Party protesters, their right to protest? Mm -hmm. Um, More recently, did you support, like, the Freedom Convoy? Did you support the the anti-lockdown protesters around the country? Because I... I remember it differently. I don't remember an expression of, of course, they have a right to peacefully protest. I heard a lot of demonization as people who were out there killing people and making life unsafe and so on and so forth. So, no, I don't don't know about that, even that generic vanilla statement about we support people's right to protest the world over. Uh, He went on to explain why they're so mealy-mouthed about China. You know, because we have this relationship and we need to manage it for the world's benefit. We're in an intense competition with China. There's no secret about that. And, by the way, there's nothing wrong with competition, as long as it's fair, as long as it's on a level playing field. Uh, But we want to make sure that that competition does not veer into conflict. So I'll be pursuing these conversations uh, early next year. Others uh, in the administration will be engaged with uh, their counterparts uh, in China. The world expects us to do that. The Mm. world expects us to manage this relationship responsibly. And, by the way, if we can find places to cooperate, because it's in the interests of our people, but also in the interests of people around the world. We'll try to do that, too, for example, on climate, on global health. Yeah. For example, on climate and global health, those are two counterexamples. On global health, have the Chinese communists been working with us to identify the source of the the virus? No, I don't no. think so. They blocked us for a while from uh, even going and, into that Wuhan lab. And, and you mean, so when you say... When there's opportunities to collaborate, you mean for them to pay lip service to us and us to pretend that they're being authentic, that they're dealing on the level, (laughs) right? Yeah, they're all for your climate change fantasies there, Tony B., uh, while they're building coal power plants all over the country. These guys are a joke. This administration is a joke. And unfortunately, when you're talking about the Chinese communists... It's not funny. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Cindy Yu. She's assistant editor at The Spectator and host of the Chinese Whispers podcast. Cindy, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So uh, were you reassured uh, by Secretary of State Blinken about uh, the U.S. support for the white paper protesters and uh, the line that they're taking with respect to President Xi and the communists? Dan, I... I I loathe to start the interview by um, giving you this kind of um, alternative opinion to, to, to yours by disagreeing with you. But actually, okay. you know, in slight, in slight defense of um, Anthony Blinken, the way that the Chinese operate when they see foreign states supporting domestic unrest is to blame all of domestic unrest on foreign states. So they tried to do a little bit of that last week with these protests, you know, it was foreign forces, hostile forces, stirring these things up. And actually... I feel like, I mean, I don't have a link to the White House, but I feel like if that's what they were thinking and that's why they didn't come out more in support of the protests because they didn't want the CCP to be able to say, ah, you see, the White yeah. House is supporting protesters. I told you these weren't legitimate Chinese citizens. You know, this is a foreign ceded protest. So I actually think that that would have made things worse had they come out in more in support. So here's why I don't buy that argument, because that argument was addressed because it was raised uh, ham-handedly, because that's the only way she can raise anything, by Karine Jean-Pierre. And um, so so here's what, and you, you sort of said the same thing. Here's what they do. Oh, I see. So So we know what they're going to do regardless of what we do. So we should play 
uh, we should make our play based on what we know they're going to do rather than make our play such that they're responding to us um, rather than make a play, especially on this issue. Uh, so that people around the world are reassured that America still has moral authority to speak about individual liberty, as opposed to playing a game you know they're going to play. No matter what we do, they're going to say it. And by the way, in your own column, you point out, I'm quoting from it, in response to accusations that foreign forces were stirring up discontent, one Beijing student shot back, do you mean Marx and Engels? What a, what, a bril- what a brilliant response, number one. But it also says that the people on the ground aren't buying it so you know, this is we should be providing aid and comfort to that beijing student not worrying about uh china's uh, chinese communist propaganda which is built into the price right 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 and, and i totally see where you're coming from dan um i think that um when, when it when it's inside china the ccp has actually not really acknowledged that these protests have happened at all so and if you're average Chinese citizen, maybe middle-aged, later uh, or in your 60s, 70s, you're not on social media, you might not even know that these protests happened because the country, the, the government hasn't acknowledged them. And I, I guess what I'm saying is that has, has it become more of an international debate, uh, then CCP would have gone even further in saying this is definitely, you know, you have had wolf warriors coming out and saying this, look at, look at Anthony Blinken supporting you guys, blah, 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 blah. So I think we would have more of that. I, I appreciate that just because the CCP is going to do something is not a reason not to <laughs> oppose them or at least give support to those who do oppose them. Uh, but I think it could have been worse. Um, and, and, you know, that student was just absolutely incredible because he's absolutely right. I mean, it's, he's getting it's, a better it's education at Beijing University than American kids are getting. I'll tell you that. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's so rich of the Chinese Communist Party to to say talk about foreign forces when they are seeded by Marx and Engels and you know, the USSR was a massive formative influence in the early years of the party. So it, it, is, it is rich coming from them. So, Cindy, the, after um, weeks of these, you know, rare displays of public anger, these protests, what restrictions have been lifted? Right. So, I mean, something that's not often appreciated outside China is actually being such a huge country. There's a lot more that provinces, the regions themselves, can do when it comes to public health. So I think what we're seeing now is actually a patchwork uh, easing up. So various different regions have various different policies. Some regions are actually tightening up. So in Anhui province, for example, there are actually more testing centers being set up. On the other hand, uh, in the south of the country, in, in Guangdong province, uh, people are allowed to be in quarantine at home now. I mean, all, this sounds ludicrous to you know, us sitting in London and, and in Chicago, but this is actually an easing up for people to be able to quarantine at home instead of in a central facility now. So that's the kind of stuff that's moving. You're not needing uh, regular tests just to go on public transport, which you were a few weeks ago. So it does look like things are moving in the right direction. Um, but I, I don't really buy it until basically they can have better coverage, vaccine coverage of uh, of the elderly population, which is not great at the moment. I think there are 26 million over 60s, Chinese over 60s, who haven't even had one jab of any vaccine at all. And that's a massive number. Um, I, I wanted to get your perspective um, about these protests and whether they represent something qualitatively different in the trajectory of the Chinese Communist Party and its uh, long term viability. This seems some people are arguing that, you know, this is different than Tiananmen Square, which was uh, a protest that started mainly around economic conditions. Um, this is a protest that's squarely directed at 
the CCP, and essentially it represents a vote of no confidence in the party to lead the country. And that's that's something that's different. I'm not sure I would go that far about this one. I think it is economic at the heart of it as well, just because if you're a small business owner over the last few years, you've not had any certainty. Many of them have gone bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the party covers up the exact numbers. I don't even know if they collect the exact economic damage done to them um, to small, medium-sized businesses. Um, if you're a working-class factory worker, you mentioned iPhone factory, um, you know, you have no job security. You don't even know where you're going to be sleeping uh, if, if there's a lockdown. And so I think that all fuels a lot of the anger um, the Shanghai lockdown earlier this year just showed the Chinese middle classes that you can absolutely go back to starvation and poverty, even if you're in these absolutely you know, lovely modern apartments and all this sort of stuff. And so I think it is still fundamentally um, economic in the sense that it's your quality of life that is, that is impacted. Some people, of course, as you say, have made this into a vote of no confidence on the Chinese Communist Party. And as I wrote in my column for The Spectator, the problem, the fundamental problem here is that the people have no recourse to do anything for the government to do anything else. If you don't like what the government is doing, you have literally no recourse for years and years and years until it boils over to the extent that you're marching on the streets. And so that is the fundamental problem. For me, it's a no confidence issue. I'm not sure a lot of Chinese people actually do see it that way yet. As ever, it's hard to generalize about 1.4 billion people scientifically without opinion polling. Right. What is um? What's the impact of the announcement that Apple's made that they're going to? Well, I don't know if they formally made it, but it's being reported that they're going to start moving their supply chain out of uh, iPhone City, as it's now called, and into uh, other places like Vietnam. Like if they were to divest from China and move a significant portion of their operation to another country, what impact would that have? Well, I mean, it'll be it'll be terrible for China's economy. Um, I mean, so much of China's economy has been reliant on foreign investors, on foreign supply chains um, since it joined the WTO, uh, and probably a little bit before that as well. Um, I, 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 as you say, though, as you suggest in your question, Apple has said it will do this. Is it actually going to do this? Especially yeah. if China is now opening up nominally, and you know, you've got the CCP officials saying to foreign investors, "Don't worry, we're going to open up by this time next year. This will be all a bad dream." I don't really see Apple bothering to move that much of it out because, you know, as good and as as develop much as developing as Vietnam and India are in the global supply chain, what they can do is still not on the same level as what China can do in terms of just having cities completely geared towards a a particular supply chain. So I think that kind of decoupling, that that offshoring will take longer than people want. Um, And so, you know, if you're a businessman, you're going to want to have the easiest ride out of this. So if I were Apple, I would just stay in China and see what goes on next year. They obviously try to divest some stuff, but I think, you know, Vietnam and India are just not not, um, equal substitutes just yet. So, yeah, I want to go back to something. That's a good point. Watch yeah, and see. Yeah. Some, go back to something you said earlier about vaccination rates and the, the millions of people who are, you know, in that high risk group that are not vaccinated. Why is that happening? <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it, Amy? I mean, this is the most authoritarian state in the world, um, or probably the, the, the biggest, biggest and most authoritarian state in the world. Um, and yet they are worried about mandating the vaccine. And I, I, and 
I don't understand. <laughs> I really, this is something that me, you know, as someone who's born and raised in China, I culturally don't understand. I've got a few theories, but none of them are completely satisfactory. You know, one is that people, a lot of people are quite suspicious of Chinese-made kind of food and medicines. There being a few different. <laughs> Gee, I wonder scandals. why. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there've been like corruption scandals in the past of uh, kind of your FDA equivalents being corrupt and letting things through, of babies being poisoned by uh, toxic milk powder, all this sort of stuff that leads to a lot of Chinese just being a bit skeptical hmm. about something that's Chinese made that they're putting into their own bodies. Um, understandably, there's also this. I think just the speed with which the vaccine has been developed、um, has concerned people. But also fundamentally, I think the complacency that zero COVID afforded people for a long time. You know, you remember we're talking about this now. But in two, August 2020, we were talking about the Wuhan pool party, and so China has had a lot of normal times as well during this pandemic. And during that time, if if COVID is not in the community, why would you bother putting this vaccine into your body if you're also not sure about it anyway? So I think all of that has contributed to this kind of moment now. I mean, the government should have thought ahead and thought with that time that we're buying with drastic lockdowns, we should be vaccinating people. And only now are they starting to think about that. And I think you know, even though we're talking about easing up in China, it's not the end. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of China's real fight with pan- with the pandemic because now we're going to start seeing community infections. In a population of 1.4 billion people, and that that's going to be a massive problem. I imagine the blind spots of the central planners.、Uh, Cindy Yu, assistant editor at the Spectator, host of the Chinese Whispers podcast as well. Cindy, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, and she joined us on our Turnkey.pro answer line. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show. Is this one Chicago's Morning Answer on AM five sixty? The answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM five sixty. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I want to get to the.、Uh... 303 creative case oral arguments before the Supreme Court yesterday, but first, big news、uh, in high school football in Illinois. Loyola Academy's John Holasek announced his retirement. Yep, I knew it. He's gone. Uh, Halasek, uh, who goes out on top, Loyola Academy won the state championship again. Lincoln Way East, they beat them, thirteen to three, I believe. You know the thing. The thing that's. I mean, and, and I, as I said before,、um, John Holasek is the best football coach in Illinois at any level. May and that's just for starters.、Um, I'm sure he could coach at the next level or、uh, pros too, <laughs> or, or certainly the pros. I mean, he was a standout linebacker for the Bills after his days at U of I.、Um, but uh, something that's uh, uh, interesting about this too, worth noting, to speak to what a class act Holasek is in.、Um, There's not a lot of people we can point to these days that are class X like this. So he he said he was going to retire once his three sons had graduated from Loyola. So now he's doing that, but he didn't do the announcement at the beginning of the year. This is my last year, and do the whole season saga of John Holasek's last game here and his last game there, and then the championship game is going to be his last game, and you know making this. This whole、uh, drama about him, rather than about the team and his kids and、uh, and the season, he made he made the season about them, not、right. about him. Even though he knew he was going to leave, 
something you just don't see very much. No. That's, so I think it's worth noting. So. Do you think he's really going to stay retired, though? I think he's going to. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I, I don't know him uh, particularly well, but um, I, I, sort of friends of friends, and I don't know. I don't know if he wants to coach football anymore. But if he does, Northwestern should be calling him just to check. <laughs> right. <laughs> and maybe just have I a mean, little informational meeting just to and get maybe, to know you. Maybe uh, Eberflus too. Um, I mean, I'm, I think you need to give him a little bit more runway uh, there for the Bears, but um, maybe as a defensive coordinator to start. I don't, I don't know, but I'm sure he would have a lot of options. Uh, anyway, so um, John Holasek, I think you. How many do you win? Three state Four. titles. Four state titles. No. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. All right, uh, turning our attention to this, the high court in this case, we previewed last week because we knew oral arguments would be happening yesterday, as they did. This is the case of um, the graphic artist out of Colorado. Yes, Colorado again, the same state that gave you Jack Phillips' Masterpiece Cake Shop, and it's the same issue. There's a, a woman who started this graphic artistry company, doesn't want to do websites for... Uh, people who want to use the website to promote the redefinition of marriage. Right. It's not that it's just like it's the same, uh, very similar pack, fact pattern. I, I, she's happy to serve people who are LGBT plus, but not the message. So it's not the customer, it's the message. And of course, the leftists on the Supreme Court did their best to try to obfuscate that distinction, which is what's critical here. And it's critical for you to hear this because the arguments that were made by Sotomayor and KBJ, Katanji Brown-Jackson, are the same cheap, superficial arguments you hear in discourse on the topic that you'll hear repeated. They're just repeating at the upper reaches what you hear every day in terms of these arguments where race is compared to gender identity uh, improperly. So here's an example. Uh, in the case of 303 Creative versus Alenis, this is Justice KBJ questioning uh, Kristen Wagoner, who is from Alliance for Defending Freedom, representing the graphic artist in the case. And uh, she's, she comes up with two different examples she uses to try to drive this race-gender identity conflation, to try to drive the customer rather than the message, to uh, eliminate the lines of distinction there. The first is, it's a wonderful life. Exact same analysis to say, is the parade organizers otherwise... Ins but otherwise Hurley was a private association. It wasn't a public business. What I'm asking you is I have a public business. I'm a photographer. My belief is that, you know, uh, I'm doing It's a Wonderful Life scenes. That's what I'm offering, okay? I want to do video depictions of It's a Wonderful Life. And um, I'm knowing that movie very well. I want to be authentic and so only white children and families can be uh, 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 customers for that particular product. Everybody else can, I'll, I'll give to everybody else, I'll sell them anything they want, just not the It's a Wonderful Life depictions. Um, I'm expressing something, right, for your purposes, that, that's speech. What about, uh, what's the other step? It's speech and I can say anti-discrimination laws can't make me sell the It's a Wonderful Life package to uh, non- white individuals 
In the same way, I would say, first of all, in the same way that this court, when there is a message and a status and it's overlapping, the court would say that message wins in that instance. So I don't so, think that so the I message, don't have to sell it to it. I don't think that that message is in that. Right. No, that's not. You're, she, Ketanji Brown-Jackson is conflating status and speech. Well, she's about feelings rather than facts. Well, well. Or giving hypotheticals. I don't know. Uh, she, she's the point is that the graphic artist is not refusing the customer. She's refusing the message. That's not analogous to what KBJ presented in her. It's a wonderful life, uh, you know, collage example, not refusing the customer, refusing the message. So, for example, she would cr- uh, object to creating the graphic artist who's the. Uh, the person at bar here, the plaintiff in the case. She would object to creating a website celebrating uh, same-sex marriage regardless of whether the couple is black, white, so on and so forth. It doesn't matter. She doesn't believe in same-sex marriage, doesn't want to be forced to use her creative expression to participate in it. But she's not refusing to serve gay, black, Latino, blah, 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 customers. It's just the message. Customers, not speech. Status, not speech. So she tried again. Did KBJ, that is. Grandma Helen's Protestant Provisions. Selling this, I'm going to be uh, violating my own beliefs. Um, so let me just ask you another quick hypo. So I, I'm trying to understand the extent to which this matters that she's a speaker um, as opposed to a restaurant. So I sell food, and one line of products that I make is from scratch for particular customers that are based on my grandmother's cherished family recipes. My dearly departed grandmother was clear that she only wanted to provide this kind of nourishment for people who share our same religious heritage, So I call these products Grandma Helen's Protestant Provisions. And I sit with each customer who comes in, and I hear about their faith and their family, and I customize the recipe for them after having this discussion. So the food is not expressive, right? I'm not speaking in my food. But I am trying to convey that only certain people um, get to partake in this product. Can I do that consistent with the First Amendment or not? No. And, and in the situation, as you said, the, in terms of a caterer, the caterer is not engaging in speech. In terms of your initial statements or questions, speech is speech, whether it's paid or pro bono. But, but aren't, don't we have cases that suggest that people's conduct can be expressive? I thought there was a whole line of cases that said you didn't have to actually have an express message. You could be acting in such a way as to express a message. And in my restaurant hypo, I'm saying if I sell to non-Protestants, I'd be expressing a message contrary to Grandma Helen's core beliefs. You're speaking through conduct at that point, and that is a different analysis. In terms of the expressive conduct test, the court has already articulated what those tests are and what a reasonable person would observe. But in that case, you're talking essentially about status discrimination. There's no message um, that she is creating that would be compelled in that way. That would simply be service. Right. And one other point here where we get back to just being it's just another effort to get to the same place, which is 
message over status, speech over status, particularly for artists. An artist has the right to be selective in a way that some other businesses like the lunch counter don't. You can't, you can't, you, you, you can't refuse to serve coffee to a black man, um, but you can say to a gay black man, I don't want to be enlisted to create something for you and your partner. That's different. I mean, forcing someone to promote the redefinition of marriage is not the same thing as forcing them to pour a cup of coffee to someone under the law. The difference between the customer and the speech, the customer and the belief. This is an important line, and it needs to be explained to the population writ large because there is a lot of leftists like KBJ and Sotomayor who either ignorantly or purposefully, I don't know which, are blurring those lines. They're not the same thing. Michael Southside, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning, Dan. Morning, Amy. Thank you for taking my call. I, I am so very pulling for the website designer, and I can't, I'm amazed that this case, case even got that far. Uh, does anyone else remember the fashion designers who said they wouldn't work with Melania Trump? Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders got kicked out of a restaurant, and the owner claimed that the LGBT cult workers didn't want to serve her um does anybody else remember um, the congressional hispanic caucus denying membership to uh myra flores yeah Um, i mean those are not analogous either but i mean your point is well taken which is to say like the 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 left is is bootstrapping arguments bootstrapping and conflating at the same time uh in advance of their political agenda which has nothing to do almost nothing to do. Actually, it's worse. It runs directly afoul of our First Amendment protections that are enjoyed and and should be enjoyed among us all equally. That's the issue. And then there's the sort of, thanks for the call, Michael, and there's the the sort of um, norms, you know, not laws, but the norms of, you know, they're fine with discrimination in one direction based on political belief, but they're not fine with it based on um, other political beliefs, which is essentially what you would argue, like, your whatever you want to call them, religious or political beliefs that marriage is this. I'm not share. I don't share those. And so I don't want to be compelled to advance your views. And I shouldn't be. And Jack Phillips was right. And so is the proprietor of 303 Creative. There's another uh, point of this. Uh, there's another point in this, too. I don't have the clip, but there's a good uh, uh, summary of it. This exchange between uh, Neil Gorsuch and Colorado Solicitor General. And it, it, it gives you an idea of what the attitude of the left is. Um, the uh, oh, uh, the Biden administration Deputy Solicitor General Brian Fletcher admitted during a back and forth that uh, with uh, ACB, not KBJ, but ACB, you got to keep all your acronyms straight, Amy Coney Barrett, of course, that a website designer could object to creating a site for a Catholic organization because he disagrees with the church's view on marriage.
but could not object to creating a site for same-sex marriage because religion isn't a protected status while sexual orientation is. Now think about that. According to the a deputy solicitor general of the United States, the government gets to determine which beliefs are worthy of protection and which aren't. That's what Brian Fletcher said. Yes, you could object to creating a site for a Catholic organization because you disagree with the definition of marriage, but you can't object to creating a site for same-sex marriage, the redefinition of marriage, because religion isn't a protected status while sexual orientation is. I mean, that is completely upside down. Gorsuch, in a scathing rebuke to Colorado's, Colorado's Solicitor General, reminded the state that religious beliefs are a protected category, at least in theory, and that the state cannot change a person's sincere religious convictions. And then they got into this exchange about Jack Phillips, who was forced to sit through a re-education program because he disagrees with marriage redefinition. Colorado's Solicitor General telling Gorsuch he wouldn't call it um, – re-education it was just training to educate him about colorado law and gorsuch quipped some might be excused for calling that a re-education program that's exactly what the the business that these people are in exactly these people the business people are in imposing their views under color of law despite the fact that they run directly contrary to god-given first amendment rights restraint on government And here you have people arguing for unrestrained government in the direction of our personal views. You don't like it. We roll over you. That's what this case is, just as the Masterpiece Cake Shop case was and continues to be. Frank in Arlington Heights. Good morning. Interesting, you know, uh, I didn't know KBJ, all these initialized socialists, um, where you even believe business could exist. So it was quite impressive that she was able to come up with these business case scenarios in her in her questioning. Yeah, she's still uh, wrestling with what a woman is, but go ahead. Yeah, but uh, on another note, you know, I wonder if all these cultural changes that are occurring in our society, um, you know, are, they almost kind of remind me, just as a history teacher, of what happened in the 300s A.D. with Constantine and Theodosius, except in reverse. Constantine legalized Christianity around 323 A.D., and it was largely done for political purposes. He won at the Battle of Milvian Bridge, fighting for the Christians, and then he won, and so he legalized Christianity later. Of course, he was kind of a cynic. He didn't get baptized until on, on his deathbed. Um, but he did that for political reasons. And Theodosius, he actually made Christianity the, the um, official religion of the Roman Empire, also largely for political reasons. And the pagans fought that and hated it. And I wonder if we're kind of in that situation right now where all this political strength is for all these massive cultural changes in our society, whether we're in the role of the pagans today resisting what is happening or what, you know, what is happening with these cultural changes. Very yeah, much like Christianity was a very big cultural change in that period of time. And, yeah, I, th- uh, I for, think that's a good I think that's a good comparison. Yeah, I think we are in that role of the pagans. Thanks for the call, Frank. Uh, Flip the script for a second, too. This is a good thought experiment uh, I read. And please do this with your friends, too, if if and when this case comes up or just the topic writ large. Imagine an atheist web designer didn't want to make a website for a Christian apologetics event that trains pastors to convert atheists. What would KBJ and Sotomayor say? What would the left say? 
does the atheist web designer have to make the website for uh, a Christian apologetics event? You know, the the life and times of G.K. Chesterton that is used to train pastors to convert atheists. The web designer would simply state that designing such a site goes against his personal beliefs, and that would be the end of it. And and the left would say, well, of course he shouldn't be forced to. But 303 Creative should be forced to. Masterpiece Cake Shop should be forced to. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Insert Democrat Socialist here. Runs the Democratic House law for 30 plus years running. He's promising this and he's stealing that. Where can you get that kind of money? He's using your house like his own piggy bank. Gang, 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 gang. You ought to know by now. You can pay off your house here in Illinois. But you can never keep up with the taxes. Oh, how it's always been the plan To have a taxpayer pay, no doubt Not a matter of if anymore, but when You're moving out I said, when you're moving out Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, that theme music means it's time for our weekly conversation with Ted Dabrowski, president of wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. You know, Amy, we were talking about... Uh, public transit earlier in the program with the CEO of the transit authority in New York calling for uh, more expansive bans on anyone who commits a violent crime right in the subway system or on a bus um, so that's one issue is public safety from criminals Another issue in Chicago appears to be public safety from the actual employees at the Transit Authority. This uh, from uh, WTTW, Will Metwalk talking to Winnetka. <laughs> the CTA is under fire from passengers and politicians complaining about long waits, inconsistent service, and so-called ghost buses and trains. They're actually people that still want to use the CTA or perhaps just need to. Okay, I, I still, you know, I'd like to get a little update on ridership uh, and how the these the crime mass transit, well, how these transit systems are making ends meet, and what the uh, outlook for them is once the COVID funny money runs out. I remember during COVID, it was just uh, it was empty buses traveling down the street. Well, Nobody was on them, but back then. but. Um, I say that because, you know, if the feds aren't going to continue to subsidize public transit in Chicago, you can be sure you are. So uh, it's just just a question to throw out there. Maybe Ted will have some insights. But this is about the work week, a uh, TTW analysis of work records from 2015 to 2021 shows a growing number of employees paid for long average work weeks, which... Transportation experts say it raises questions about worker and passenger safety as well as the agency's bottom line. But on the safety piece, well, right. So, for example, 33 operators in the CTA were paid for average work weeks of 80 hours or more annualized. Mm-hmm. Really, you're working 80 hours a week uh, driving one of those CTA trains. 
one train operator was paid for an average work week of more than 100 hours. You, you don't want that person driving the train because there's a fatigue factor there? Well, right. I mean, just like over-the-road truckers and so forth, right. the, the pilots, right? I mean, sort of the same concept. But also, really, uh, a CTA train operator average 100 hours a week, that's that's 14-plus hours a day every day. <laughs> uh, seems a little... So maybe there's a... Far-fetched. Maybe there's maybe there's a a fraud question about the CTA operation too, which wouldn't be the first one. Let's start there with our friend Ted Dabrowski. He joins us now. Ted, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. What about uh, yeah, the with the massive money pit that is mass transit? It's, uh, interesting. You mentioned this, and your timing is right. Greg Hines wrote a piece there over there on the the, the business friendly cranes. Yeah, I think it was uh, I think it was yesterday that. Uh, the looming fiscal cliff, in quotes, that the RTA, the Regional Transit Authority, the Metra, uh, faces when, when the, again, no surprise, when the public money runs out, all the, all the COVID money, all the COVID support, when it runs out um, in 2026, they're going to be short about 20% of their operating costs. And so, you know, hint, hint, for those who don't understand, that means, hey, um, you know, fair, fair increases and maybe some cuts too, uh, to, to service. But uh, yeah, you know, there's no way that these systems can operate. I rode I rode the metro yesterday, not not at peak hour, but um, not very not very trafficked. You get to the station, it's empty, and uh, yeah, you, you know fundamentally that these things can't operate. You know, in good times they can't operate on a market basis. So obviously, right now they're going to be in huge trouble. So this well, is all part of the either increasing bailouts or you know massive uh, massive fare hikes. And the CTA, I mean, it's just such a poster child. So let me understand something. Uh, we're going to have to pay more for something I don't use, don't want, or don't want to use that is less safe. That's your value proposition. That's your pitch to me. We're going to increase the cost to you to for something you either don't use or would prefer not to use, and it's also increasingly unsafe. Yeah, yeah, we ran the numbers on that. My colleague Matt Rosenberg ran ran the the recent numbers on on the CTA crimes, and you know, and they're scary, and and it's not. You know, and, and the violent crimes in percentage terms, of course, there's fewer people on there now, but the, the percentage of violent crimes have jumped. So, uh, you know, yeah, the pain more and you run the risk of getting, you know, getting beat up or we've all seen the, the ugly video of that that poor guy getting hit with a bottle. It's um, scary stuff. And you know, again, like like all this stuff, it's not sustainable and it's it's unhealthy. It's, it's everything negative that you can think of. And, and um, you know, with property tax bills coming out and all that, we only know that our property taxes and other taxes are going to go up. So. Everything costs more. You get worse service. Again, that always makes uh, other cities more attractive. But some people seem to be, you know, sucking off the, you know, what of, you know, what. What, what is this 80 hours, 100 hours of work for overtime for CTA employees? Is there oh. any way to verify that? Yeah, but, you know, this is this is standard stuff for me when, when I look at this stuff. You know, if you're looking at, you know, police work, if you look at uh, any public sector work, you see all kinds of crazy things like this. We were just looking at. So, so this happens. People, people know how to game the system. They know how to get hours. Um, it, it's a sad part of what what um, what happens. But but it happens all the time because it's easy to game and you get paid a lot more. And you know some people are putting uh, are put at risk, and that's that's when it's not fair when we put our policemen at risk. Uh, but other people know how to game the system. So, and uh, you know, we're just looking at uh, you know superintendent who's now getting three hundred thousand dollars for a, a school school district that has I think four hundred students, uh, Burr Ridge. Um, you know, getting massive, massive pay. Nobody can read there, but, you know, they're getting their $300,000. It's all part of the system. Nobody can read in Burr Ridge? Well, you know, the, the numbers are, are horrible. You know, 10%, 15%. Uh, 
just just like everything we've been reporting, it's oh, it's hey. becoming amazing at how many places where the kids can't read, just can't read. It's Burr Ridge. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, if uh, your schools are centers to train activists rather than places to educate children, it doesn't matter if it's Burr Ridge or the South Side very much, does it? Well, that that's that, and and uh, and it doesn't matter where you work; you're going to get paid. So as long as you're in the public sector. And, uh, you know, with Amendment 1 and all that, you're going to be even more protected. So, uh, Talking about oh, Amendment 1, by the way, you know, just in terms of as a quick aside, because I want to talk Safety Act, but Amendment 1 and just the, the prospect for um, some sort of opposition to the established power structure in the city and the state, the new House and Senate super minority Republican leaders both voted for Amendment 1. That's so correct. so what is so what does that what does that tell you about this one party state, Ted? Well, you know that's that's a conversation I've been having with with um, I guess people in this <laughs> out there. Yeah, they, they they voted for for the green energy bill, right? The massive, the, the most extreme energy bill in the country, uh, Amendment One. So we have a lot of work to do to hmm. to flip people in, into how they think about being in the opposition and. And that, you know, if you keep doing the same, then you'll be a continuously shrinking super minority, which it's kind of hard to imagine being a, a smaller super minority. But that's that's where we're headed if we continue to vote the same way. Well, maybe they'll be able to pitch a shutout before the decade's out. Um, so uh, speaking of those dimwits, at least we drew enough attention to the Pritzker Purge Law, the so-called Safety Act, to keep Republicans in line on these cosmetic changes that we predicted when you were on with us last week. Um and uh, you and Matt Rosenberg, John Klingler, have done a couple of pieces analyzing the changes, which have been very good, and making the point that, boy, all of a sudden um, there were amendments flying around in the closing days of the veto session. But I thought that anybody who had any criticism of the Safety Act was a racist and a fearmonger. Yeah, you're racist. You're wrong. Just like Pritzker was saying about education results, we're wrong. Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I don't think you can understate what just happened um, Sorry, you should overstate what just happened because, you know, in Illinois, we're all depressed about how we have the inability to get reforms. And, and look, the safety bill continues to be a bad bill no matter all those improvements that were made just now. Uh, and, and it should be, you know, you know, undone and then redone. But, but it's important to point out that the work that you guys did, the work that we did, the, the work that so many people, all those, all those uh, state's attorneys, you know, this was some there were a lot of horrific things that were in that bill that they wanted. The other side wanted they wanted it badly. And, uh, you know, I was just reading. Uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Tarver. I, I'll come back to that. But it's amazing. Despite all the racist calls and all that, they needed a supermajority to get all that stuff fixed. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and they and, and it was a supermajority that did all that. Um, you know, they, there were no Republicans on it. Uh, and if they hated it and if it was wrong and if it was racist, then why the hell did that supermajority, right? They, they didn't need a 50 percent plus one. They needed a supermajority, three-fifths, and they got it, and they passed all those changes. So it's a big win for, for our side, and I think what it shows is, uh, you know, if we're a sustained campaign, strong campaign, everybody in, point out the truth. And, we, you know, this is all based on the truth, right? We, were, we weren't making up numbers. These are all things that were true, which is why they were forced to change them. So I think it's a huge win for the reform side. Um, even though even though the net net on our laurels. Yeah, even though the net net is it still makes Illinois less safe. 
Correct, correct. And I, and I think you know what we have to think about is how we how we make the changes to bail uh, right. toxic, and, and that's a, that's a harder lift. But I think it can be done. We need to work on that. Uh, you know, it has to be a sustained effort. So, how is bail going to work under the Safety Act and these amendments? <laughs> there is no bail, right? So, um, you know that that continues. There's there's no longer bail as uh, as part of the the reform as, as part of the uh, criminal justice, and and here's why that's important. You know, today, before before bail's taken away, a judge who's got a, a bad guy in front of him, uh, you know, knows maybe that they can put them back on the street with, with a high bail, which would ensure that the guy comes back to court and, two, doesn't misbehave, right? If the bail's high enough, he or his parents who bail him out have an incentive to keep him out of trouble, um, have an incentive to keep him away from victims. Well, that's what bail is for. It's kind of a middle-of-the-road way of managing a bad guy. Uh, under the new system, there is no bail. So either that person's detained or let out. Right. And, um, you know, in, in our decarceration world that we're in, judges may make that mistake over and over to let people who shouldn't be out at all, or maybe they'd be out on bail and behave and have this incentive to behave. Well, that's gone. And so we're, we're putting judges in a tough spot where they're either going to detain people they shouldn't detain, or or they're going to let out tons of, tons of bad guys who, who maybe could have been managed with bail. Now they're out on the streets, no incentive. Look, they get arrested, they're out the next day, no bail. They can go repeat the act. And we, we've already seen that happen in Cook County. So expect it just to be a replay of what we've seen in Cook County. Ted Dabrowski, president of wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. Ted, thanks as always. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM 560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560 The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. You know, people scratching their heads, and I've been one of them until recently, about why FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried has been doing all of these media appearances, despite the fact he's clearly under criminal investigation. Against advice of counsel, I'm sitting down with you, George Stephanopoulos, New York Times, and uh, that's a a risable... uh, Sorkin fellow, um, yeah, and then the, the Wall Street and, and, well, and then the Wall Street Journal interview this weekend. So why is he doing it? To act like a victim. I don't know to try and get public sympathy. Hmm. I can't think of any. Maybe to influence a jury. Oh, uh, it's because you know what he wants to convey. What he is conveying is that uh, this was uh, a result of mismanagement and a lack of attention paid to the details by him. In fact, the headline in the Wall Street Journal interview over the weekend, which is incredible, FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried says he can't account for billions sent to Alameda. Remember, this is Alameda Research, the hedge fund companion of FTX. The subhead, entrepreneur says he had little insight into workings of trading firm, even though he owned 90% of it. Now, you would look at that, you look at that and say, well, that doesn't sound like um, very positive press. But there's a big difference between being seen as incompetent or negligent 
versus being seen as the Harold Hill of the crypto sector. And maybe that's the point here. I was asleep at the switch, but it wasn't intentional. And he's got perhaps more positive and sympathetic coverage than he otherwise deserves because of his effective altruist propaganda and his $40, billion, $40 million to the Democrat socialists. Now, um, somebody who is um, stripping all of that away is David Morris, who is a, a columnist for Coindesk. Now, Coindesk is an information platform for you know, crypto nerds and people that want to transform the financial system. Um, he is a holder of, it, per his byline, holds Bitcoin, Ethereum, and small amounts of other crypto assets. So he's a believer. He's not somebody like outside the sector saying, I told you so about the sector or even about SBF. Listen to what he says. In the weeks since Sam Bankman-Fried's cryptocurrency empire was revealed to be a house of lies, mainstream news organizations and commentators have often failed to give their readers a straightforward assessment of exactly what happened. August institutions, including the New York Times and Wall Street Journal, have uncovered many key facts about the scandal, but they've also repeatedly seemed to downplay the facts in a way that soft-pedaled Bankman-Fried's intent and culpability. It's now clear what happened at the FTX crypto exchange and the hedge fund Alameda Research involved a variety of conscious and in a an intentional fraud intended to steal money from both users and investors. That's why the recent New York Times interview was widely derided for seeming to frame FTX's collapse as a result of mismanagement rather than malfeasance. A Wall Street Journal article bemoaned the loss of charitable donations from FTX. Uh, Vox co-founder Matt Iglesias, court chronicler of the neoliberal status quo, seemed to whitewash his own entanglements by crediting Bankman-Fried's money with helping Democrats in 2020. Perhaps most perniciously, many outlets have described what happened to FTX as a bank run or run on deposits, while Bankman-Fried has repeatedly insisted that the company was simply over-leveraged and disorganized. Both of these attempts to frame the fallout obfuscate the core issue, the misuse of customer funds. Malfeasance as opposed to mismanagement. And that matters if you're facing a criminal investigation, how prosecutors characterize what you did and didn't do. For more on this and other topics related to markets, please be joined by John Tamney, editor of RealClearMarkets.com, director of the Center for Economic Freedom at FreedomWorks, and author of The Money Confusion, How Illiteracy About Currencies and Inflation Sets the Stage for the Crypto Revolution. John, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. <clears throat> uh, so what do you think of uh, Mr. Morse's assessment over at Coinbase? Um. If it is about the misuse or taking of customer funds, uh, you know, let's put them in jail. I, I must say, though, I'm always a little bit skeptical of the consensus. Uh, to me, Michael Milken's the greatest capitalist who ever lived. But if you pulled most people aside on the street, they'd say, oh, yeah, he was a criminal who was imprisoned for something that they've never really been able to define. Um, well, I, I don't think there is consensus on SBF, though. I mean, that's his well, point. Is they is is it was it mismanagement or intentional fraud? Yeah, and, and and that's what I'm trying to that's what I'm trying to figure out. If if it's intentional fraud or the stealing, oh wow, um, you know that that's inexcusable. It's unspeakable. If it's he ran a bad business, I'm horrified when I hear about jury trials and everything. I don't like 
that the government is always the winner in these scenarios, and we start putting business failures in prison. We have Elizabeth Holmes right now who had a bunch of adult and seasoned investors believing in her, but because her technology didn't succeed quickly enough and she had to cover over that while trying to make it work, she faces prison time, and I find that horrifying. Well, wait a second. Well, well, wait a second. On Elizabeth Holmes, you just said she she had to cover it up. Well. Don't she? She didn't have to cover it up. She could have been forthright and said the technology isn't there. Where it doesn't, our product is not delivering what we promised to deliver in terms of blood tests. But she didn't do that. That's fraud. I think that's a little bit debatable. She had investors who felt differently. She had businesses who wanted to work with her. Uh, she was feverishly trying to bring the technology up to speed. You try to run a business where you where you announce that it doesn't work and see how long your business lasts. Um, I think it's I, I think we forget that just about every business founded in Silicon Valley fails. I think we forget that with any new industry, whether it was autos, whether it's internet, call it whether it's crypto, just about every single one's going to go under. I don't like the criminalization of it. Now, if if he was actively stealing. That's something different, but I, I'm going to withhold judgment now. I think we need more people out there trying new things, trying to rush the future to the present, and, and I find it really dangerous that, well, when they fail and they fail publicly, oh, let's get, let's, let's get the government involved. Well, uh, I, I, look, I, I, so I agree with the concern that you have, but, I mean, let's establish a baseline. If you, if you make material misrepresentations to investors, even if you're not technically stealing – that's that is, that's yeah. criminal. That's a problem. Well, and, and and so here's where I would have I'd be a bit more skeptical. Investors are big kids. It's well known, right or wrong. I would say it's wrong that someone like me, I can't invest in a startup like FTX. I can't invest in Theranos. Uh, right. Successful accredited investors can. Right. Uh, why is it that government always gets to gets to uh, aggrandize itself in this? And so people say, well, government didn't regulate it properly. They had the ultimate kind of regulation. They had seasoned investors. Uh, the, the seasoned investors are well aware of what they're getting into. They understand that, again, nine times out of ten, what they invest in is go- not just going to fail, but it's going to fail spectacularly. Why is this a criminal offense? So you, obviously you probably don't agree with the 11-year sentence that she received last week. No, I don't. Have you have you read the book? Because I read it in in, in, in very detailed fashion. I thought the book Bad Blood was an embarrassment. So they found a few employees who didn't like her out of thousands. Well, yeah, I think I, I think we could do that. Yeah. Um, you know, I want people trying to rush the future into the present. And investors are taking the risk there. That's why when the businesses work out, they get paid off so well. They're being paid off really well precisely because most often the business is not going to work. Now, again, I can't say for certain that Sam Bankman-Fried, maybe he's a complete fraud. This effective altruism I find nonsensical. I think running the business is the ultimate altruistic act. Mm -hmm. But this idea that that he, he might... They might put him in prison for failing. I, I don't like that. Uh, let's talk about uh, the industry uh, more generally because, uh, well, you wrote a book about it. Um, and so what do you think the impact of uh, FTX's uh, immolation is on crypto? 
Well, it's interesting because I wrote a book about money that's about money specifically that predicts that crypto private money will be the end result. And I, nothing uh, has me wavering here, and here's why. Let's go back to the early 2000s, uh, Netscape, Pets.com, Globe.com. Uh, the list of uh, fiery Internet failures is long. And that, and that was true 100 years ago with automobiles. Uh, the fact that there's a bunch of really gruesome failures in this space isn't normally a sign that it's not going to have impact. That's usually a sign of a maturing market, that basically they're sifting out the winners and losers. Uh, with the decline in the price of so many currencies, I don't think it's a surprise that we're seeing some blow-ups. Um, it's Dare I say it, I wrote it in 2021 that I said, well, no cryptos for real once the, once the coins start crashing. And I kept telling anyone who would listen that if you're buying a currency because you want to see its price go up, you really don't understand what money is and beware of it because you're not buying money. You're buying a speculation. Yeah, right. So I think the fact that this is all happening, I don't think it indicts my thesis one bit It's it, it, because I've wrote about it when crypto was, was the darling of investing. I said, this is what's going to happen, and that's when we'll know it's for real. So I think it's still for real. Let me ask you, uh, uh, this is a question from a sophisticated investor about blockchain, the underlying technology that's much talked about and uh, much less well understood. Uh, <laughs> he, he's got a question. Why hasn't the vaunted blockchain been able to penetrate and decimate the title insurance industry, which is broken model, not secure, title fraud and theft, too expensive, said, I've asked a bunch of crypto heads and can't get an answer on this. And by the way, this is somebody who has holds some crypto. So he's, you know, not an antagonist uh, ideologically, but he's he's wondering, you know, why this blockchain and this blockchain technology that's supposed to provide answers to inefficient industries like the title insurance industry. Why isn't it? Why aren't we seeing pro, uh, uh, progress there? Well, I, I'll, I'll answer it with a question. I still can't get someone to give me a reasonable explanation of what blockchain is. Okay. Well. Now, now, that's not to say that it's not for real. Let's not forget that with the Internet, when PayPal came about, the vast majority of payments were still made through the U.S. mail. And so people thought the PayPal guys were nuts. Well, now it's just kind of a normal way of paying for things. But yeah. What makes sense to me about private money is government's just done such a horrible job with money for thousands of years, and so it strikes me that if they're private issuers of mediums of exchange that we're going to get something more reliable and people will start circulating them. Uh, why hasn't penetrated insurance? My, my guess is – and this is a stab in the dark. Let me be clear. Insurance is one of the most regulated businesses on earth. I mean, you talk about something that's just um, in another century, and I, I, my sense is that's a fact. It's probably harder to penetrate just because it's not a very uh, dynamic place in the first place. Hmm, yeah, that makes sense. Um, question about that's too generally speaking. Um, this is a piece from Andy Kessler over at uh, the Journal. He talks about what with uh, the the uh, blow up of FTX. A market hype cycle is winding down. Uh, it produced some good companies, but also gave us NFTs, non-fungible tokens, FTX, and uh, SPACs. And um, so you you gather what he's down on, FTX, SPACs, and NFTs. And I wonder if, um, uh, if you share his sort of view that this was a hype cycle with some of these in innovative vehicles. And yeah, there's going to be the creative gales of destruction and that's all well and good, but let's understand which is substantive and which is not. 
I didn't find it very compelling, and I consider Andy a friend. He's written a foreword to one of my books and everything. I didn't find it terribly compelling, however, a market cycle or a hype cycle. It presumes that there's just buyers. Um, Well, no, there's sellers too. Uh, Someone's selling to these buyers on the way up, and it presumes that buyers have all the information and the sellers don't. But right when the market turns, the sellers have all the information, and they know when to get out ahead of all the dumb money. I don't think it's that simple. I mean, Andy made the point that, well, FTT, which was the currency underlying FTX, they were borrowing against it. And, oh, that's a sign of market hype and stupid markets. Well, someone was lending to them. And I would presume that these are pretty sophisticated investors lending against this private currency. And so to me, what we're seeing is a growth spasm. Uh, That's the way I put it in my book. To be clear, I didn't make it up. I stole it from George Gilder, and I attribute to him. I think with any new advance, you look at automobiles, the carnage in automobiles, the thousands of auto companies that failed once the, once the automobile became a thing was endless. But did it destroy how we live? No, it transformed how we live. Look at all the carnage in 2000 with the Internet. Same idea. So many failures. There were websites about it with really uh, bad word names to them about all the, the dead Internet companies. Now it's a fact of life. The fact that there's been hype about crypto probably is a signal that that we've gotten a lot of good information from it that's going to transform how we live and do things, and that's a good thing. Has government been good good with me? I think not. Uh, Something that could potentially replace it is something we should embrace. John Tamney, editor of RealClearMarkets.com, director of the Center for Economic Freedom at FreedomWorks, and author of The Money Confusion, How Illiteracy About Currencies and Inflation Sets the Stage for the Crypto Revolution. John, thanks for joining us as always. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy returning to the Twitter files released by Elon Musk through Matt Saibi as to the suppression of the New York Post Hunter Biden laptop story in advance of the November 2020 election. One of the individuals that was unearthed when those files were posted, Representative Ro Khanna from California, Democrat, and his conversation with Twitter general counsel at the time about, uh, this was a Vijay, uh, Vijay uh, Getty, I think is his name. Uh, anyway. Um, Twitter general counsel about the suppression of the story. Um, And so now he's, you know, sort of being perceived by some as, oh, well, here's an honest Democrat. Mm -hmm. He's got a uh, op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. Since he's now been disclosed, keep in mind, he could have said publicly what he said privately to Twitter's general counsel in advance of the November 2020 election, but he didn't. So you'll excuse me if I'm not bowled over by his op-ed two years later, Twitter's duty to protect free speech, (laughs) while he's been silent about their lack thereof for two years. Well, more than that, but the pertinent part is the last two. He writes, I agreed with Twitter's decision to take down explicit photos of Hunter Biden and to prevent algorithmic amplification of the post story. But there's a difference between sharing and artificially amplifying. 
Social media companies shouldn't have bots that amplify speech in the first place. They add chaos to the dialogue. They certainly shouldn't be abusing people's data by using it to target them with sensational content. We need to uphold a sovereign right to our data. Even so, the story itself shouldn't have been censored, and those who shared it shouldn't have been suspended. That went too far. Yeah. Some rallying around the First Amendment now. It helped my party, but it shouldn't have been done, I say, two years after it was done. For more on this, pleased to be joined by our friend Michael Goodwin, of course, is a columnist on the at the uh, paper of record on this story, the New York Post, and he's also a Fox News contributor. Michael, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, good morning, guys. Thank you. Um, are you um, wowed by Ro Khanna's, uh, the uh, unearthing <laughs> of Ro Khanna and his op-ed now uh, waving the flag for the First Amendment? Well, all things are relative. And <laughs> yes. to the... Uh, uh, among the Democratic Party, among the left, uh, he does stand out as an exception, even to say what he said today, and as you rightfully know, uh, too late to have any impact. But I, I do think one of the ph- amazing phenomenons of the last cycle here, let's say the last six years of American politics, is the way the left has gravitated toward the FBI and toward the suppression of speech and individual liberties. This is the party that used to be the champion of civil liberties, is now the party of censorship, the party of cancellation, the party of FBI spying, of FBI censoring or or leaning on private companies to censor. I mean, it's a remarkable flip for the Democratic Party. And so when Rokahana says that, that that story should have been should not have been stopped should not have been buried that still makes him an exception in his party which to me is the most important thing that has happened in the age of Trump that how crazy left the democrats have gone i mean look i remember you know growing up uh, the and certainly you guys will be aware of this the supreme court uh, decision on the Nazi march in Illinois, Skokie, Skokie. yeah, right. And and I remember just as a, as a young person thinking, well, it's kind of crazy. But then over the years, thinking, wow, what a wonderful country that we can tolerate, that we make room for the people we despise. I mean, that that we allow them to have rights too. Um, and we were not always consistent in that as a country. But nonetheless, that was the guiding principle. That was the law of the land. Where is that gone? I mean, we're now talking about whether the FBI, the FBI should be involved in censoring uh, news articles that it says are misinformation. I mean, that misinformation is a is a a gap that you could drive a million trucks through. Misinformation is something I don't agree with, apparently. Well, who decides Uh, what is and what is not misinformation? Well, that's right. I mean, can't I, as a grown adult, govern myself and realize this might be misinformation and then try to find out some other angles to a story? No, but but that is precisely the point of the Skokie March. It was that the answer to hate speech is more speech. 
And this idea that somebody will decide what is hate speech and therefore shut it down so it can't be heard because it might hurt somebody's feelings or it's dangerous uh, is, a, is a new concept in American life. I mean, it simply has not been a popular uh, way of thinking until the new left took over the Democratic Party and well, made it the pro-censor, pro-silence uh, party. And this is exactly what we heard from KJP, Karine Jean-Pierre, yesterday. Take a listen to her response to what was dumped on Friday, the misdirection play here. Well, not, but not misinformation, just misdirection. Uh, decisions were made to, to censor reporting leading up to the election. My question was, is it the White House view that these decisions were made appropriately in light of what has come out? Which decisions? By whom? By Twitter. By Twitter on, okay. So, look, we see this as a, a an interesting or a coincidence, if I may, that... Uh, uh, that he would so haphazardly, uh, Twitter would so haphazardly push this distraction. Uh, that is a that is a full of uh, old news, if you think about it. Um, and uh, at the same time, Twitter is facing very real and very serious questions uh, about the rising volume of anger, hate, and anti-Semitism on their platform. That's that's a nice free speech platform you got there, Elon Musk. Yeah, that's right. Hate to see anything happen to it. Right. Um, that's uh, this comes from, of course, the the spokesperson for the party of uh, Ilan Omar and uh, Rashida Tlaib. Uh, so, if there's an anti-Semitic caucus in the Democratic Party, then I don't know why they're so worried about Twitter. Uh, look, we shouldn't forget that the, that ultimately this is whole thing is colored by the fact that it's about Joe Biden. That is about Joe Biden's corruption. It is about whether he has been compromised by his relationship to the Chinese government, uh, which was a financial relationship through his son and brother. Uh, that is what it's about. So that's uh, that. I mean, she gave such a weak, distracting kind of answer that it was almost, boy, they're, they're really starting to feel the heat on this. And I, I would just say that, you know, at the New York Post, we have been writing about this now for more than two years. I think we are closer than ever to actually getting somewhere in terms of some new development that will show what really happened between Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and all of these oligarchs and communists and, and corrupt uh, companies around the world. Uh, I say that because the Republicans taking the House the you know Comer on oversight and Jim Jordan on judiciary have vowed to get to the bottom of this. It's a shame that the Republicans didn't take the Senate for the same reason because Chuck Grassley and um, Ron Johnson are, right. were way ahead on this issue in, in 2020. They actually came up with some information about the Hunter Biden transfer of funds that was part of the reason Tony Bobolinsky came public, because they, they came up with fund transfers to the Bidens that Bobolinsky wasn't aware of. And he thought that when he claimed fraud, he meant that this was for work that he did as well. And he never got a cent for the work that he did, but the Bidens got well over $10 million. Uh, and Hunter Biden... Uh, Bob Alinsky tells of a Hunter Biden meeting with the Chinese uh, 
paymasters in a restaurant in New York in which Hunter Biden goes explosive, screaming, you owe us, you owe my family $20 million. You mm-hmm. owe my family 20. This was for work done in 2015 and 2016 when Joe Biden was vice president. That yeah, I think we're, we're getting closer now. We're getting closer. I hope you're right. And uh, something and those uh, suspicious activity reports that Jim Comer mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Um, something else, though, too, that Karine Jean-Pierre said, old news. You know, it's actually not old news. And to the extent that some people knew it, it's not old news when you have the former FBI general counsel uh, is serving then as the deputy general counsel at Twitter and making and providing essentially the legal cover for the uh, the the trust and safety minders at Twitter to suppress the story. And there again, that nexus between I mean, talk about a nexus between the FBI and social media companies. Well, well, first of all, just it's an oxymoron to say it's old news. If it's news, it's news. <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> but uh, yes, to your to your point about Jim Baker uh, on both sides of this between big tech and and uh, and the government, FBI uh, during the Trump years, and and I think too, as, as I as I wrote in my my Sunday column, it, it behooves us to take a step back and see the big picture here, which is now for two presidential elections, 2016 and 2020, we have big tech and aligning with the government, the FBI, in against the Trump campaign, and for first Hillary Clinton, and then for Joe Biden. And of course, we have the third leg of this collusion, which is the media. So you have the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, etc., all pushing the narrative uh, that uh, Trump is colluding with Russia in 2016, and in 2020, all of them pushing the narrative that the laptop is Russian disinformation. I mean, it, 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 they're twins. This is effectively a twin operation over two presidential elections with the same players. They're teammates. They're teammates on the same team trying to sway presidential elections, two of them. They failed in 2016. They were determined not to fail in 2020, and they didn't. They succeeded in, in suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story, which many polls have shown that most people, uh, not, I shouldn't say most, a large proportion of the voters said they did not know this information when they voted. So they succeeded in keeping it from the public. And there is one particular poll that found that 8% of Biden voters said they would not have voted for him had they known this. That would have been enough to swing the election. Mm-hmm. So this, this was a successful operation by the FBI, big tech, and big media to suppress news that would have changed the election. They succeeded. I mean, that is what we, we are up against. And so when I say we're getting closer, I mean, there's a long way to go. We're not, we're not near the end zone yet. But we have to keep pushing this because this is, this is not just a threat to democracy. This is destroying democracy. This is overturning and subverting the will of voters. I mean, if, if that isn't destroying democracy, tell me what it is. He is Michael Goodwin, columnist for The New York Post, Fox News contributor as well. Michael, thanks as always. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you both. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.proanswer line. 
This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.